You know, as Jesus calls us to follow him, we have to understand something. When you follow Jesus, you will have challenges. We're going to continue in part three of this series called Marked, because I believe that there's not a single person in this room that's not marked by the love of God. But there's also another marking that you have. You're not just marked by his love. You're marked by his calling. So I invite you today as I introduce this message entitled, The Rhythm of Obedience. The Rhythm of Obedience. There's a rhythm to obedience, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share that within the story of these three individuals who have an opportunity to follow Jesus. And I've been talking about people that were given and presented opportunities. How many remember that? Week one, we talked about people that said yes to Jesus. And week two, we talked about even a few people that said no to Jesus in some way. And some said yes. Let me get your attention for a moment because I believe this applies to everybody in this room in some way. Everyone in this room feels like they're here for a reason. And when you don't feel like you're here for a reason, something doesn't feel right. Is that true? If you feel like you're here on this earth for a reason... You gather purpose, and you you feel like you can move forward. But when you are here, and you don't feel like you're here with a purpose, that can feel very draining. It can feel like you're worthless. It can make you feel all kinds of feelings that maybe you shouldn't feel, but we tend to feel because we are our own worst critic, right? We tend to look at ourselves and go, man, I'm no good at this, and I'm no good at that, and we can tell everybody what we're not good at. How many are not good at something? You see, if I, I ask that question, how many of you are not good at I got quick hands. If I asked some of you, how many of you are good at something, they'll be like, this hesitancy, like, um, yeah, I think that's something I'm good at. Like, can I? Uh... But when I say, how many of you are not good at something, <laughs> I know what I'm not good at, right? I know what I'm not good at. I'm not good at hunting. I'm not good at fishing. I grew up in New York City. Hunting and fishing were not a priority. Survival. I was the one being hunted. Okay, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I laugh, but inside I'm crying. Um, no, but seriousness, right? There's things that you can easily say, I'm not good at this or I'm not good at that. There's a lot of things. That my wife and I will be celebrating 21 years of marriage this upcoming week. Yep. She survived this 21 years. You're looking at a serious survival kit right there. She could tell you in deep and detail more than I care to share what I'm not good at. I'm not Mr. Bob Vila, but I try sometimes. I put one or two holes or 12 in the wall attempting to hang up something. Things I try to fix the sink, four separate trips to the store. A lot of different things I'm not good at. And, you know... We can be distracted, can't we? Because we have to discern what we're good at. We have to discern what we're not good at. And we have to be obedient at the same time. That's difficult. How many would agree with that? Lord, you want me to do this, but I'm not good at this and I'm not good at that. I, I want to share with you a few things here this morning because uh, this week we're stepping into three stories of three individuals that Jesus' response to them was not in context of a large group. He was talking to them individually. 
and yet attempting to understand these unique situations, I want to share with you some scenarios, and these are their stories. I was so looking forward to that. In the first scenario, a person tells Jesus he will follow him wherever he goes. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Let's have the house lights up so they can see Luke chapter 9. You can tap or turn. I don't know if you have a light-up Bible. That means an iPad or a phone. Or you have a paper Bible, so we want to help the paper Bible people. We still have paper Bible people out there, right? That sounds like a tongue twister. Say that three times fast. First scenario. Here it is. A person tells Jesus that he will follow him wherever he goes. How many have ever made a promise that the moment it left your mouth, you said, I shouldn't have said that? Raise a hand. Come on. Somebody. Some of you raised your hands really fast. I won't read into it. But a person tells Jesus in scenario number one, listen, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replies, you want to follow me wherever I go, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what he's saying there? Look at me. You know what he says there? You say you love me, but I have no place to call home. You know what he's saying there? You give me a lot of lip service, but your heart is far from me. You tell me you love me, but by your actions, they don't really do the justice. Some people live marked with the love of God. Others live mocked by their past. Which one are you living? See, some of you don't realize how important your life is to God. And we look at verse 58 for a moment. Let's look there. Luke chapter 9. Who's got it? Luke chapter 9. And we look at verse 58 for just a moment. Luke chapter 9, verse 58, and it reads like this. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know what he's saying? A lot of people say a lot of things, but I have no residence there. The birds have nests, the foxes have holes, but I don't have any place to hang. And so, even though his ultimate sacrifice of laying down his life was the goal Jesus himself needed to find those people around him to pour into. And Jesus had given up a home in heaven to come down to this earth so that you and I be, could be able to go back with him. And many people don't realize how important his arrival on earth was because some still consider him just a teacher. You may say with your mouth that he's your savior, but where does he lay his head in your life? Where is he leaving his mark on your life? We dedicated 
a beautiful baby in Finley today. There's going to be plenty of moments in Finley's life where she's going to have those moments where mom and dad are going to go, well, this is the moment we got to tell her about this and tell her about that. Teach her how to use money. Teach her how to not use people, right? Because our selfish intention is to use people to get what we want. Our selfish intention is to use our money to get what we want. But what about when we say, you have two dimes, you have two nickels, you have two quarters, and that friend of yours really wants one to buy something. Why don't you share? I have to give up of myself, my stuff? And anybody who's been a lonely child for a little while, and you have that second child come, you know what that feels like. What just happened? Why is everybody paying attention to him or her all of a sudden, right? That selfishness is normal. How do we teach that? Well, the more you lift up Jesus in your life, the more he teaches us that this life is not about us. This life is about raising other people to know who Jesus is as well. Is that true? Is that true? Matthew tells us this. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That's a big passage. To deny yourself, that's big. Take up your cross, what does that mean? All the things that come with life sometimes. Follow him. There's certain things you're not supposed to carry though. Can I make that real clear? There's certain burdens you're not supposed to carry. Certain things that only God can carry for you. Don't, don't get it twisted that somehow you're supposed to carry everything. You're supposed to be the rock for everybody's uh, Hard place. <laughs> You're supposed to be that person all the time. Denial is the barometer to which we gauge our life in Christ. The amount of denial of yourself daily will determine how far you get in your walk with Jesus. It's a constant denial, is it not? It's a constant giving up of yourself. But God reminds us that, the fo- that following Jesus is rarely, rarely convenient and rarely comfortable. Can I tell you that? If someone lied to you, I apologize on their behalf. That this is all easy. It's not all easy. Right? Scenario number two. Jesus invites a person to follow him, but that person requests to go home and bury their father first. And what does Jesus say? Let's look at that Luke chapter 9, verse 59. Luke chapter 9, verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But the man said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus replied with a very, what some might look at, a kind of head-scratching statement that says, let the dead bury their own dead. That's rather insensitive, Jesus. Don't you know? A man has a right to bury his father. When we look at the overall mission, no real good can come for that eternally but following the mission of God would. And he's saying, listen, what you can do there is temporal. It'll help somebody. But what you're doing with me will heal somebody. What you're doing over here by, 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 by involving yourself with the dead, listen, that'll help, but this will heal. That is dealing with death. What I'm doing is about life. So Jesus wasn't being insensitive. In fact, he was, he was injecting life into this man saying, you can't look back when you follow me. You can't look back and be fit 
to be a follower of Jesus. I don't want to go too deep into that, but I realize that Jesus tells him to let the dead bury their own dead. And while it seems insensitive, it's actually life-giving. It's life-giving. This doesn't mean that once he becomes a believer, he can't talk to nobody that does not a believer as well. How many know that's not what Jesus said? He didn't say, oh, you're a Christian now. The only people you hang with are Christians. Oh, you started going to church. Now the only place you go to is church. Right? That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying if you're going to be involved with life, be involved with life. Because death will always be there. But this second that you have to give somebody life, they may not have life much longer. The urgency of the gospel is in his words. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you today? He's realizing that everyone is marked with an expiration date. So that walking in obedience means a whole lot more than just, man, you know, I I need to go take some time with my family. And I get that. Listen, I'm not saying that it's not good to go to funerals and those things. That's not what I'm saying. You hear what I'm saying? Jesus is trying to say, involve yourself with something that brings life to someone over something that brings and, and, and acknowledges death in their lives. And I realized, man, what a marking he's putting on these disciples. Look forward, don't look back. I think most of us could agree that looking back sometimes is detrimental to our health, yes? There's times we look back and we go, uh, I don't want to remember that part of my life. We've all been there. Some of us have gotten invitations to join Jesus. Some of us have rejected that. Maybe you're here this morning and Jesus is the furthest thing from your mind that you really want to involve in your life. I get it. I've been there. I grew up in a home that kind of casually understood that Jesus was there. We did some of the things. We checked off the boxes. I would go to church. I'd come back home. But nothing would change in my life. I got radically saved at 15 years old. Something triggered me that night. Gave my life to Jesus. I realized that I was headed in the wrong direction fast. I was only 15 years old. But I had already seen a lot of things growing up in the city. And so in my life, I started to realize that, man, you know, there's a lot of death around me. Where is the real purpose and meaning to all of this? There's got to be more than to eat, sleep, and die. There's got to be more. And so I sought to find that reason. I sought to find that answer. And somebody invited me one day to join Jesus. And I said, what does that mean? And as I heard more and more, everything they described that they were feeling, feeling in their lives were things that I wanted so desperately. Peace, love, joy, acceptance and grace I wanted all those things but I didn't know how to get it so what did I do I said yes I'll give this thing a shot I'll give Jesus a try and it was that night that God radically saved my life never to be the same again and that day and a series of mistakes and victories and battles won and battles lost has led me to this point where I realized I can't look back to see my blessing. I see his provision. 
and how he looked out for me, but I got to look forward to what God has for me right now because the days ahead of me are the things that I can change. The things behind me, never can I change. Is that true? So in the final scenario, another person states that he will follow Jesus, but first he has to go say goodbye to some people. That's in verse 61. Another one. And it goes on to say it again. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first. When you say, Lord, I will follow you, but first. How many know that that's not a way you talk to Jesus? Right? I will follow you, but first. But first. I will follow you should be the first. Period. Right? I had a family member one time that said, Jesus comes first, everybody else is a distant second. Everybody else take a number. And I think that's the way we need to approach our faith. Some live marked, others live mocked. You look at your past and you think, there's no way God could use me. On the surface, the person's response seems reasonable, right? Let me go say goodbye, gotta do some things, handle some business, and then I'll come follow you. Jesus is like, I'm going right now. I'm going right now. So how does Jesus respond to this seemingly understandable request? What does he say? Well, verse 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's hard. But guess what? He gives you strength to say yes. To walk in obedience. Jesus' response sheds some potential light on the situation, doesn't it? Watch this. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 26. Wow, that's weird. Why is he, is he promoting hate? No, he's promoting such a love for God that in comparison, it's weird. It doesn't even stand the picture that it almost looks like hate, like you're abandoning that. Your love for God should be so great that everything else looks like less than. Obviously, Jesus is not saying, follow me and literally hate your family. Like, you can't love your neighbor and hate your family. That's just not, that doesn't, that's not what that means. In a parallel passage in Matthew, Jesus states, whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. You see what's going on here? There's a connection. Your, your love for God has to be great. So let me ask you this question here today. Where is that love in conjunction with your life? Because we're talking about being marked, right? Called by the Savior. And there's not a single person at the sound of my voice right now that hasn't been called by God to do something amazing. Not a single one. You may say, well, you know what? I don't know who Jesus is. I don't want to know who Jesus is. I just, I just want to... Uh, I just want to be blessed. I just want to be a good person. I want, to, I want to help old ladies cross the street. I just want to be a nice, I want to give a little bit to the church and be, be recognized, you know, a little bit. That doesn't hurt. You know, I want these things, but no, I don't want to change my lifestyle. I realize that a lot of people think like that. But something happens when you say, I want to find out what faith is really about. You see, 
We can make excuses. Now raise your hand if you've ever made an excuse for something. Honest to goodness, be honest. How many have ever made an excuse? And some of you made a good excuse. How many of you really, really made up a good excuse? I shouldn't have said made up, right? How many had a great excuse? Some of you are like, that's a trick question. I think he's trying to catch me. I think we've all come up with a good excuse for something somewhere along our lives, right? We've all done it. We've all done it. I don't care who you are. You've made up an excuse somewhere or you had an excuse and you're like, oh, this will fit perfectly to get me out of that. Come on, y'all looking at me like you know what I'm talking about, right? This will get me out of that dinner date I didn't want to go to. I don't even like that person. She has an attitude and he smells funny. I don't know. I don't want to go to that double date. Oh, yes, this, this is happening. I can, we can get out of it now. It's an excuse. That's what I'm talking about. You ever have one of those excuse moments? Well, when you walk your life with many excuses, you will maximize regrets. But when you walk in Christ with no excuses, you will maximize results. So I have one question before I wrap up this thought here this morning. It was a short message, but pungent, I hope, for you to hear what I'm talking about when I say marked. Are you ready? Here's the question. Last slide, guys. It says this. Following Jesus requires that we leave our places of comfort and security, refuse to allow excuses to keep us from immediately obeying Jesus. So here's my question. Are you ready? What is keeping you from living marked instead of mocked? Because your past will always mock you. Your past will always mock you. It will tell you, you messed up here. You did this wrong. I've had this conversation with multiple people. What will happen if I commit to this? What will happen if I get married? What if she's not the one? What if he's not the one? What if we get pregnant and I don't know what to do with that baby? What if I take that job and I completely don't know what I'm doing? What if, what if, what if you're surrounded and bombarded by the what ifs? You know what that is? Mocked. You're being mocked. So here's my thought. What's stopping you from living marked instead of living mocked? One answer. If you want to live marked, Jesus has to be the center of attention. If you want to live mocked, you are the center of that attention. Because if it's all about you, then your past will come into play. Therefore, you're never good enough. You're never strong enough. You're never wealthy enough. You need more money. You need more attention. You need bigger cars, bigger homes, more pension, more this, more that. If you're the center of attention, not that those things are bad, but if you're the center of attention, everything hinges on you. But if you're marked, everything hinges on who Jesus is. Marked or mocked? The rhythm of obedience calls us to say this. Every single day, what am I doing that will reinstitute or reestablish the fact that I'm marked for him? I realize I'm doing a lot more teaching and, and I'm not 
hooting and hollering this morning. We're not laughing up crazy. and That's not what I'm trying to bring to you this morning. Here's my thought. What if, what if for some reason we stopped for a moment, stepped back and said, everything that I've been doing has been self-centered. That's how come I've been feeling mocked every day in my life. I can't get anything done because it's about me. What if we step back and said, let's make it about him, his purpose, his call, his will. Then all of a sudden, some things make a little more sense. Amen? How many realize in your life you could probably make better decisions in being called by Jesus? Probably make some better decisions. All of us in some way, right? Even if it's a little thing. Rhythm of obedience says, today, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow, but tomorrow will worry about itself, right? I'm not going to worry about yesterday because yesterday's done and gone and I can't change it, right? I can turn my calendar all I want. It's still right now. But what can I change? The right here and the right now. So why don't I change the right here, right now and start my rhythm of obedience? What is the rhythm of obedience? Right now, pray. Right now, read the word. Let that be a part of your life. And then when tomorrow comes, guess what? Right now, read. Right now, pray. Right now, love somebody who maybe can't love themselves. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God cares about you? Do you realize that all the insecurities that we've ever had in our lives is the enemy's way of keeping you down? Because he knows you're marked. He knows you're marked. He has a future, and it's not a pretty one. He wants to bring somebody with him, and I refuse. Come on, somebody. I refuse. I want to live marked for the Savior. Amen? Can I invite you right where you're at to just bow your heads right where you're at? Those of you at home right now on your devices, phones, tablets, or TVs, just bow your heads with me for a moment. I want to pray a prayer. Father, we are yours, and you are our Savior. My prayer today is for every person at the sound of my voice that has been desperately looking for answers to find you the answer. Father, they've been mocked and ridiculed by this flesh and this selfish past. We've all been selfish. Not a one of us haven't been. And you, God, have reminded us today that you love us with an everlasting love. So I pray today for every person at the sound of my voice that while maybe some have never ever consider Jesus to be Lord of their lives maybe there's one that would the big idea today God is simple you are hope and you are the one that marks us how and why I don't always get it how could you go to the cross for me I don't even deserve it but you did you marked both your hands and both your feet so that I would have life more abundantly. Thank you for that hope.